Welcome to the Education Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you'll hear part three of my conversation with Michael Yarbrough from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Education's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Education Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to our conversation with Michael Yarbrough. In part one of this conversation, we introduced Michael Yarbrough and COVID-19 at CUNY, a class project, which his students created after the spring 2020 semester was abruptly interrupted and transitioned online. In part two, we delved more deeply into the project, the students' experiences during such a tumultuous time, and the basis behind Michael's choices as their professor. When we finished part two, we were talking with Michael about how the project has impacted his students' perceptions about their significant contributions to the world and how this project served to show many of them their impact, relevance, and skills. I think that was incredibly valuable as a learning experience for the students because it really showed them how the kinds of things they experience every day that I think often are devalued in our society or seen as kind of irrelevant or everyone knows about that already or not that important. Um, but they were actually able to see, you know, I actually have knowledge. I have expertise that even my professor doesn't have, right? Even he wouldn't be able to generate this question, but I can generate this um, because of something I know in my life. Um, and I think that's really important. This this is coming back in full circle, just like you, that happened to you as well when you mm. were a student, no. um, you know. And uh, I I feel like that uh, some of the some of the things that you had said are I hope uh, will be taken by the audience, and <clears throat> if they are in the position of being a faculty member, that they can think a lot about that. Um, and hopefully challenge their own thinking and their own um, way of their own relationships with the with the students and 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 even their their philosophy on it. are you just you know giving them a bunch of knowledge or do they learn how to process their lives mm. um, using the experience that you provided them the opportunity that you provided them with and how do you make that engaging and um, something that they can they can sort of do over and over again for the rest of their lives. Mm. And I think that this is, you know, when I looked at your students' work and I see this is what they've done, um, there will be other crises in their lives mm. in the future. And when they, when that happens, they would, they would be able to draw from this experience and hopefully handle it better maybe help others handle it, mm. um, support other, figure out better ways to support other people. Um, and that's a, that's a really worthwhile thing to, to have in, in our education system. I, I, I feel like that there should be some newer, better outcomes to describe stuff like this. I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, I mean, there are many things I worry about looking forward for higher education and in relation to this crisis um, in terms of funding and making sure that, you know, that the students who, who need the resources for their education get it. Um, but one of the things I am hopeful about is that the experience of having to adjust our teaching for all of us to have to suddenly kind of adjust how we teach that it might 
um, have lessons for us for how we relate to our students going forward. Um, you know, I think about something as simple as administering tests, for example, and how you know many, I think, faculty have been concerned about um, preventing cheating with online tests and these kinds of things. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's an understandable concern. And there are many classes for which you have to have some sort of exam or some kind of assessment that like, gets at that knowledge. Um, but that way of thinking about students sets up this adversarial relationship between the teacher and the student, right? So that the student's going to try to get one over on me. And so I've got to prevent that. And I really think that that kind of conception can get in the way of building the relationship that teaching really requires. You know, I think that you've got to build a relationship of trust with your students. Um, you have to trust them. So they'll trust you. And when you do that, then you open a space of vulnerability where real learning can happen. And I'm hopeful that many people might come out of these two, three, four semesters of forced online learning um, with an appreciation of that, um, at least out of necessity, just out of realizing that I couldn't just move my class online exactly as an in-person class. I had to make adjustments. And so maybe one of the things that comes out of that is an appreciation for the importance of relationship building. When we do... Uh, return to lots of in-face, face-to-face uh, teaching as well. I, I love, I love what you said about the example of plagiarism. Um, I, I have a feeling that in your class, in your COVID nineteen at, at at CUNY class or project. Not only were there zero plagiarism, but the idea of it never even came up. Yeah, I, I'm hopeful that that's true. And I, I think that that's true. It's possible maybe someone faked an interview or something like that. You never know. But <laughs> yeah. I, I did read the transcripts and you can usually tell when they're faked. And I don't I don't think they were. Um, but I think you're right that the, the need for it, the, the need for it wouldn't have crossed a student's mind because of the, of the way that these particular assignments were, were designed and nor would it have been possible because it's hard to fake your own experiences. And I think that that's, that's really the signs of a really good class, really good teaching and really engaged student body. When I, when I, when I was a student myself and I was in an art and design school, um, the concept of plagiarism would have been ridiculous for us. Mm, mm. Um, you know, the artists are just too, well, for, for one, we were too proud and too egotistical to even mm, try to, mm. if anyone that almost approached the kind of concept that we have in our projects, sometimes we would just completely throw it away and just start something else instead, just to, just so that we are, stepping on new ground because that's right. what we were all about um and and so the even concept of plagiarism in those those classes was almost um well like i said it was it wasn't a concept we would never thought about it because uh, everyone was so invested in the work right right i think that's absolutely the the point is that if you if you're doing work that you're invested in for the work's sake then real learning can happen. You know, I think a lot of students will often relate to different classes 
as things that matter because they're hurdles they have to clear to get a degree, right? So there's a, a function that it's performing, um, but for students, it's kind of a box to check, right? I've got to finish this class to get um, to the end of the major or what have you. And for faculty, that can be frustrating. We can say, but our, our, but our subject is so interesting. Why do you not um, care about it in that way? Why do you treat my class as just a requirement? Um, but to me, this goes back to seeing s- students as, as human beings. Um, and so it actually makes perfect sense that a student who's working two jobs and has, you know, family members to look after and wants uh, a, a more financially secure future is going to be looking at classes as how do I get these things checked off? So I get the degree that opens the path that I want um, in the future. It, it actually in some ways is rational for students to treat our classes that way and to get them out of that mindset you have to create a different kind of class, right? You have to create a class that's valuable to the student on its own, not just as, as filling a requirement. And that's easier to do with some classes than others. So certain skills are just always going to be tough um, and not super enjoyable to learn. Um, but I think in every class, we can find ways to make it relevant for students, um, not just topically, but the actual work. Monica, as a student experiencing this shift in pedagogy, felt similarly. I think, you know, this was just one of those times where, you know, the classroom setting definitely changed, but it changed for better. And I think academics in general will always be changing and evolving. And I think this class project was something huge, not only for ourselves on a personal level, but on an academic level. It taught us to change differently. And with no guidelines in in essence, because it was something that we were all trying, you know, and just going with it and hoping for the best. Yeah. You know, in so many ways, I really do feel like that you, you all as a group sort of somehow in a, in a, in, of course, in such a difficult time, but captured lightning in the bottle somehow, you know, this is it. This is the artifact. And I think that's what this website represents, is that the work itself is valuable to students. And so that got them invested. Yeah. It wasn't and when they and when they do that, there's, you know, why would they why would they take their own joy away by copying someone else's work? That that's you know, that's the point of it, you know, doing it. Indeed, multiple students volunteered their time to publish the project over the summer, which shows how invested they were in their work and its impact, both personally and in the community. So the semester ended and Professor Yarborough emailed the class afterwards and said, "Um, is there anybody who would be interested in working on publishing all this information? And, you know, and I was I was one of the first ones to say, I'm definitely interested. Um, and during that time, I had lost somebody really, really important to me, which is my grandma. And I was, I was going through a really tough time, um, like grasping everything, not being, she actually didn't live here. She lived in El Salvador. So I wasn't able to travel. Um, I, I wasn't able to attend her funeral. And these were things that really like, um, were bringing my, my, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I was just in a really like, I guess, emotional and sensitive um, time. And I needed to get out of like this funk that I was in. And I was like, I just, I knew I needed to do something with it because I was definitely intrigued and interested. And I wanted to, I wanted to 
bring that information out to everyone else. Um, and then I remember, you know, it was only four of us that ended up being interested in, in finishing off, you know, publishing a web page or, I mean, a portfolio um, and, you know, bringing out all this information. And honestly, for me, I think uh, the project served as closure emotionally with this tough time, not being able to, you know, go through the grieving process the way I wanted to. Um, also, having to understand that I didn't graduate how I wanted to, you know, I didn't, I didn't get that, you know, that moment that everybody, you know, expects and wants to, to happen. So I think this was the best way to kind of find my closure with this time. Um, and so when we actually got started, it was like a lot because we didn't even realize how much information we had and how much we had to like, like go through and say, this is not necessary. And this is necessary. That was a long process and kind of coding through and finding the codes and seeing what was really rich and what, when you read, you feel, you know, and how to, how to really like highlight the moments where people were really going through tough times, but this was what was really happening. It wasn't just what the news was saying. It's like, this is seriously happening in somebody's life. And, you know, this is how our CUNY community was impacted, you know? So I think that was my experience with the whole situation of finishing off the project. Um, and I remember everybody else just wanting to continue with because it was important. Sally also recalled her commitment to finishing the project, how she felt the importance of what they were accomplishing together. Four of us and Professor Yarbrough, who stayed and worked on it over the summer. And what drove you to do that? I mean, you already got your diploma. You don't need to do this. We wanted to, we wanted to create something that other people could see and other people could learn from and like, make a mark in whatever was was going on. In addition to discussing this project, we took time to learn more about Michael's work and research, which is also relevant to and inclusive of a larger community. I, I've read a little bit more of, you know, your bio and there are so, there's, so, you do so many interesting things. And I know that today we want to focus mostly on on, on this course and the outcome of, you know, the, this, this beautiful project and your students. Um, I do think that based on some of the other work that you've done, uh, you are a, you are one of the um, authors of a, um, of this beautiful three-part series book. Mm. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And, and I want to use it as an opportunity to not only, you know, um, learn more about your background, but also um, use it as an opportunity to talk about other issues that um, our students also face today mm. um, because mm. COVID isn't the only one. Um, I mean, in 2020 especially, I feel like it's been one after the other. We can't even count all of them. Um, so I, I, I feel like that by talking a little bit about your researching your books mm -hmm. um, it allows us to use it as, as a window to see how might we look at other issues and what other issues we should be you know thinking about sure um so my uh research 
in general is about how how law shapes the way we experience relationships in our own daily lives. And I'm particularly interested in the relationship of marriage um, and family more generally. Um, and this also comes out of my background. I'm adopted and, you know, so I have a kind of interest in how people come to see each other as family and who counts and who doesn't count as family and these kinds of things. Um, and this is a question that has a lot of relevance for how we handle crises when they arrive, because it's often family who we depend on in the first instance to help provide support um, in, in a crisis like COVID. Um, and so that makes a difference for people who are accepted by the families that they're part of and those who are not, right, who don't have um, that family support to rely on. Um, my own research has been focused on South Africa, on different communities that are now able to legally marry um, who couldn't uh, about 20 years ago, um, which includes same-sex couples, so people who identify as LGBTIQ, um, and also in, in that particular project, people who live in indigenous African communities, which under apartheid law, their marriages were not recognized by the state. You had to also get married in a, in a Christian church or, or in the state government. Um, and so this interest in marriage, as you might imagine, overlaps a lot with a more general interest in LGBTQ politics, um, coming from my own experience as a, as a gay and queer person. Um, and the three volumes that you um, mentioned were um, three edited volumes that came out of a conference I co-organized um, with Angela Jones, the friend and colleague you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the podcast. Um, through an organization called CLAGS, the Center for LGBTQ Studies, which is at CUNY. Um, and the conference and the volumes were both about, um, with marriage uh, equality coming to the United States in the 2015 Obergefell decision, um, what would this mean for LGBTQ communities and politics and families after um, this became law? Um, and in that project, we particularly wanted to emphasize um, voices of both scholars and activists um, working in a range of different communities, communities of color, immigrant communities, trans communities, and so forth. Um, what they thought um, the implications of this ruling would be or not be um, for their communities going forward. That project, thus, it comes out of a, a similar sort of philosophy as my teaching. Um, and even my work in South Africa, although in a different way, comes out of the same philosophy, which is that, um, you know, I've, I've come to see it as my life's mission to do what I can to help bring more um, people into the production of knowledge um, that's recognized as such um, from a, a wide range of communities and particularly from communities that have historically not been included in producing that knowledge. Um, and so the, the, the three volumes that, which it's called the After Marriage Equality Series and the three the volumes, they focus on that um, and include not just kind of social science research on these topics, but also um, the experiences of and interviews with some of activists who are working on this, on this kind of stuff on the ground. Um, this is an issue. LGBTQ issues are very important to many of my students, many students today. Um, you know, I think actually LGBTQ politics in the United States is, is a great example of the role that higher education can play for good in society at large. I think that the rise of um, 
people identifying in a range of ways in terms of sexual and gender identity is something that's been helped in part through the growth of LGBT studies within the um, higher education, providing spaces for generations of students like myself to connect who we are to scholarly inquiry. And then as we've gotten older, as we've become middle-aged teachers ourselves, we then take that on to the next generation. Um, and I think more generally, what that speaks to is inequality and diversity and how much that matters to this rising generation of students, the most diverse in, in U.S. history, um, and diverse in ways that exceed even the kind of conventional categories we're used to thinking of. So not just race by itself or gender by itself, but the intersections between those things. Um, the same way my, you know, in my own story, being gay and working class intersected to make me have to leave college for four years um, and then go back. Many of my students have similar um, kinds of struggles they face. Um, it might not exactly be about LGBT identity. It might be about disability combined with, say, being a person of color or something like that. Um, and I think our students, this rising generation of students, they understand this in their bones through experience. And I think what higher education and, and, the, and the classroom provides is a language to kind of translate those personal experiences into something of, of broader societal um, significance. And I believe we're already seeing the impact of that in, in the United States, I think. The, the the youth are going to save us. I'm convinced of this. I think that, you know, the, the students in my classroom are also the youth who are in the streets for Black Lives Matter protests and so forth, um, who are voting in record numbers uh, on in the election um, that's happening right now. Um, I really um, believe and have a lot of faith in them. And honestly, it's an incredible privilege to get to work with them. Uh, in this way. Um, it's, it's my source of hope in difficult times. I, I think that uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I think it will be post-election. We have no idea whether it will be post-results. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, um, we, will, we will only hope that... Um, um, Really, a record number of people will vote, and we can, you know, get some, um, uh, get some changes um, into into our current political landscapes. Um, it's it's scary. Some of the things, you know, like the 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 current Supreme Court mm. makeup, you know, creates a lot of potentially really difficult. Um, really difficult things, including gay marriage. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and I think you're right that this generation of students are the ones that are going to, um, they have a, they have a, they have a, they have a lot of, they, they have a lot of uh, insights as themselves growing up in, in a, in a, in a generation where, um, Many more issues are being discussed more more mm. openly and more in more accepted ways. You know, even we just heard from the Pope, right? right. By the way, isn't that crazy that 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 didn't even make like top top news? <laughs> this is where we're that was like today. in like the third page. Um, right. Even the Pope had recognized, um, you know, uh, same sex 
marriage. Um, and, and yet we are still potentially having to fight this in, in our own justice system. Um, yeah. uh, but, you know, I do think that it is going to be this generation that, um, that will create the, the, the sort of, that will force the opportunity to have to happen. Um, because it's, you know, things, people don't just get silenced, um, certainly not in a democracy. Um, and uh, we can only hope that, uh, just so everyone knows, it is November 2nd today, when, right, right. the day before the election that we are recording this. Right. And so I hope that by the time this comes out, you know, maybe, you you know, we can have another conversation to celebrate, hopefully. Um, but uh uh, but regardless, I mean, I look at it in a very much longer term, is that there are still, regardless of the outcome of this election, there are clearly enough people in this country and around the world, really. But even if we just look at this country in the United States, that, that um, have uh, views that are very strongly um, opposed to the, the, the types of ideals that, you know, we just talked about. Mm. Um, and, and that's not one person. And it's not just a, a handful of politicians or a hundred or 300 people in, 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 you know, in various parts of, you know, Congress and government. Um, it's a lot more than that. And so these issues are not going to go away. Um, it's something that, you know, we need to equip clearly our students for generations um, to come to to have the ability to, ability to think critically about these things and and play a big part. I, I think that's right. You know, the the field that I teach in and that's my home field of law and society. One of the core lessons of our field is exactly the thing that you're saying, which is that. The law part's only half of the part. There's the society part as well, right? And so courts will rule. Um, historically, courts have not necessarily ruled in ways that include more people or that favor those who are marginalized. In fact, historically, they tend to favor the powerful. Um, and so while it is very worrying, um, the direction that the court is taking right now, um, there still is also tons of historical evidence that we should still have hope because people react to the court. They don't stay um, passive. They don't, you know, they, they, they do react, they, they take action. And that's something that I've really tried to teach my students and that I, um, and that I think they teach me also um, with their own work. Well, with that, that's a beautiful way to, um, to wrap up for today's conversation, I think. And I hope, uh, Michael, that we get to touch base again um, for your future projects and and hopefully you we will um, be able to keep in touch and I'd love to um, continue to see how things go in the following semesters as you react to whatever that comes next. That sounds great. Well, thanks so much. Well, lovely. We will talk to you soon, I hope. Great. Thank Take you. care. You too. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative ePortfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. 
This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius and Jessica Chittum. Thanks for listening.